Welcome to Mind, Body, and Beyond. I'm your host, Lisa Searing. Hypnotherapist Norman Plotkin learned the hard way just how much power our minds have over our health. After a successful but stress-filled 25-year career in public policy, Norman contracted papillary carcinoma, a form of cancer that affects the thyroid. As he puts it, my lifestyle made me sick and my illness changed the course of my life. He decided to make a drastic change and became a hypnotherapist. Seven years later, he's helped hundreds of people transform their own lives. Norman is also the author of two books about mind-body healing. Let's dive right in. Norm Plotkin, thank you so much for coming on Mind, Body, and Beyond. It's really nice to talk to you and learn about your work as a hypnotherapist. You've written two books, Take Charge of Your Cancer and Master Mind, Master Life. Tell us more about what, what we can see in the books. Well, the, the first book, uh, Take Charge of Your Cancer, is really kind of a cathartic memoir, uh, what I learned on my cancer journey. There's a lot they don't tell you, and you have to stumble your way into some things. Going where you're told for your appointments, getting a second opinion are disempowering. And they don't give you a list of empowering things to do. They don't give, yeah. No, they so, don't. Um, so this, it's, the subtitle is The Seven Proven Steps to Healing and Recovery. Uh, turns out there's about 10 things that people who survive do. Um, and there's several books that have been written. What I, the book I read that was really helpful was uh, um, Kathy Turner's uh, Radical Remission. And she was a psychotherapist in an oncology ward. And she began to ask questions of cancer survivors and about, you know, what did you do? And did the doctor ask you what you did? No. So, um, so she compiled these things in radical remission. And these are people who had a you know, less than 25% chance to live for five years. And um, turns out there's some really powerful things you can do. And so what I did was after I read that book, I made a note of the things that I did. And the seven things that I did, I didn't make these things up, but I found them the hard way. And they made a real impact in my life. And uh, radically change your diet, deepen your spirituality, learn to meditate, commune with your subconscious mind, hypnosis, a piece of that, release repressed emotions. You know, these things that we carry in our gut are, are deadly and then the breeding ground for dis-ease. Um, take charge. You're the one with the skin in the game, right? And have a reason to live. Don't just not want to die. That's a fear state. So um, again, I didn't make these things up, but they're empowering things that you can do. And, and I have a little hypnotherapy uh, program around those things because change is difficult for one thing. And if you're trying to take on seven new things, um, using a, a powerful modality of hypnotherapy can be helpful. Great. And then tell me about Mastermind, Master Life. Mastermind, Master Life is an attempt to kind of humanize hypnotherapy. You know, everybody has, most people's introduction to hypnotherapy is the state fair or a Vegas uh, stage show. And that's where people learn how powerful it is because, you know, people get up on stage and they suspend that part of their mind that makes them pay attention and do silly things like bite into an onion and think it's an apple and cluck like a chicken. What it does is demonstrate how powerful the modality is, but it makes me uncomfortable because, you know, I do the hypnotherapy part of it where I help people make difficult change. So mastermind, master life talks about what is it? 
What is hypnosis? What's its history? What does science say? Just enough science to whet your appetite, not so much that it'll put you to sleep. And then how can you put it to use in your life? And so, uh, you know, because I honestly, in the seven years I've been doing this, the things I've been able to help people with, I really want to evangelize the power and simplicity of organic, non-invasive, you know, modalities like hypnotherapy. What goes on in the body during hypnotherapy? Well, for the longest time, it was anecdotal, right? And the evidence-based medicine crew, um, you know, kind of discounted it because couldn't prove anything other than, you know, this person claimed that they had these effects and associated it with an interaction with the hypnotist. Um, there was a, you know, uh, the king of France commissioned a, a, a big, you know, hearing and Benjamin Franklin was on it and, and all the big doctors of the day. And they, you know, they went in and they, they scrutinized this guy, Franz Mesmer, uh, you know, the mesmerizing. And because he had said, you know, he called it animal magnetism and there was some, there were some specious claims, but um, anyway, the, it's been discounted as largely anecdotal, but now we have powerful tools like functional MRI and um, CT scan and, uh, and other tools to be able to measure what's going on in the brain. And there's studies, uh, you know, powerful studies being done in the UK, as well as Stanford University. Uh, Dr. David Spiegel at Stanford has uh, done some, some great stuff. I've got an actual explanation from one of his studies where he states that um, hypnotherapy is the ultimate therapeutic partnership and a relationship that forms between a patient and a clinician that empowers the patient to take ownership of their own healing. In the research, it demonstrated a drop in activity in the dorsal anterior cingulate, part of the salience network of the brain. It's a context decoder. Or in layperson's terms, it's a part of the brain that alerts you to what you should pay attention to and what you can ignore. And this part of the brain, which fires up when there's something to worry about, actually calms down during hypnosis. A second change was observed in the dorsolateral prefrontal cortex, a part of the brain where you plan things and carry out routines, and the insula, a part of the brain that helps regulate body functions. These two parts of the brain began to sync up in their connectivity, like altering blood pressure and heart rate. And this suggests that during hypnosis, the brain intensifies its connection to the body, mind-body. We can see evidence of this when the hypnotized individual experiences a slower heart rate, and a rhythmic breathing and likely corresponding decrease in blood pressure. At the same time, other areas of the brain become less connected during hypnosis and the researchers saw more of a disconnect between the same region of planning and routines, the dorsolateral prefrontal cortex and a part of the brain characterized by self-reflection. So in, in hypnosis, people tend to do things without reflection. And as a result, people will sometimes do embarrassing or silly things in stage hypnosis shows. They're not thinking about it. They're just doing it. So um, that's what's going on in the brain. And we know that now. And you write that hypnosis bypasses our defense mechanisms. Uh, but how can we identify our own? These are so deeply ingrained and subconscious. How can we identify them? And how can you identify them after knowing a person for 10 minutes before a session? Yeah, <clears throat> it's really hard. It's really hard to see, see our own blind spots. 
right? So something happens, we develop a behavior to, to deal with it, and often it's maladaptive behavior. And the subconscious mind clings to that maladaptive behavior because it's the only thing that stands between them and that scary thing that happened. The scary thing that happened is long gone. The threat no longer really pers uh, persists, but the behavior persists because of the fear associated with that event. What I do, I don't just go right into session. We do, uh, I do a consultation first and I do a deep dive. I do a history on everyone back to childhood and family structures. This is where the programming is laid down. And this is the fertile ground for the development of defense mechanisms, maladaptive behaviors. And it all starts there and we can get super busy and think that we've, you know, dealt with these things that happen. We can forget about them. We can, we can repress and suppress them. And it's later in life when something comes up that triggers it, that, that, that maladaptive behavior becomes a big problem. Oh, we could keep it sort of dormant and hidden and then something triggers it. That's yeah. very interesting. Yeah. So when, so when I, I mean, one of the best classes I took, you know, most powerful classes at the college of hypnotherapy I went to is counseling and interviewing. And so the same thing that made me a really good analyst and lobbyist and consultant makes me a good hypnotherapist because I'm looking for dots to connect that you're too close to see. And invariably they're like, oh, why didn't I see that? I'm like, you're too close. Yeah. Tell me more about your past as, as a policy professional. So, you know, I, I didn't go to college right away. And after high school, I went in the Marine Corps. I got out of the Marine Corps. I worked in the oil fields, a rock plant like Fred Flintstone, making little rocks out of big rocks and uh, climbed telephone poles, building cable TV. And then, you know, my brother was killed in a car accident and, and suddenly he was pre-med and like, you know, very serious. And, and I realized I wasn't, uh, you know, uh, invincible. And so I left all that and moved in with my mom and went back to school. And I was in a hurry at 25. Um, I walked onto a community college campus of 25,000 people and I did uh, speech and debate and student government and still finished in a year and a half and I transferred to the university here in Sacramento, which is a government town, a big, you know, nation state, California. And um, the first semester I got a job as a clerk in the state assembly and which began a 25 year career and I worked my way from clerk to consultant I ran political campaigns and eventually I became committee consultant to the health committee and insurance committee, and then a lobbyist for the medical association. And then, um, then I uh, started my own firm. And for 10, 12 years, I had my own firm representing clients before the, before the California legislature. And yeah, I loved the public policy. I loved the, the, the strategy, but you know, the politics is, it's, it's, you know, it's dirty. And it wasn't, you know, at the end of the day, it's not who I came here to be. And so, um, when I got sick, I had cancer, the papillary carcinoma. At first, I didn't, I didn't hear the message. Cancer is a message. And you, you really have to lean in and hear the message of the cancer. Those who don't hear the message don't fare well. And so yeah. at first, I didn't hear it. I went back to the same behavior that caused it, you know, high stress, drinking, you know, swilling martinis and, you know, the that lifestyle that I didn't make any changes. I just wanted to get back to normal. And I didn't realize that normal was what had made me sick. And so um, when it came back and I had a second round of radiation, um, I went inward and a friend of mine who had left politics and opened a yoga studio taught me how to meditate and took me through Pilates and yoga, therapeutic yoga for cancer and 
I learned about Ayurveda and eating through my dosha and, you know, my constitution. And, um, and then teachers began to appear. I, you know, I read Wayne Dyer, Carolyn Meese, Deepak Chopra, Joe Dispenza. I went to a Hay House conference in Pasadena in 2015. I saw Wayne Dyer and Carolyn Meese speak and Joe Dispenza and Greg Braden and just a host of others. And, um, and it was a seven year spiritual awakening. I mean, it didn't happen overnight. And um, I was divinely led to this school in LA to go to hypnotherapy college. And as, as my means to put myself into the service of others. And, you know, I love how you are so open about just saying, Hey, I was divinely led. It's like, once you get exposed to that kind of thought, and I'm a huge fan of all those thinkers that, that you mentioned too, especially Carolyn Mason, how she talks about your, the body and mind working together. But once once you had sort of crossed this threshold, you're like, yeah, I'm going to talk about God. I'm going to talk about spirituality and, you know, it's just who I am now. Well, you know, I've had these gifts since I was a little kid and I didn't understand them. And as a knucklehead, I was a Marine. <laughs> I was, grew up on a ranch. I rode bulls, you know, I was this macho, you know? And so like, I'm not, I don't understand that I'm an empath and I feel other people's feelings. And oftentimes as a man, at least the conflicts, because like I can see into you and, and head you off at the pass and that made them uncomfortable. And next thing I know, I'm brawling with somebody because like, and so I, but there were times fishing on the Creek behind a ranch that I, I sensed energy. You know, there were native American grinding holes that, you know, and you just move through that part of the Creek really quickly. You don't hang around there. Right. Um, and so then, you know, I've experienced all of the Claire's Claire audience, Claire Augustine's Claire, you know, sentience, clairvoyance. And um, it's only in the post-cancer um, period that I, that I've learned uh, to appreciate and and use these gifts and and to be grateful for them. And um, I mean, I've had some extraordinary experiences. I I was taking a client into hypnosis the other day uh, for irritable bowel syndrome, and but she's dealt with some grief. She lost a son in, in his twenties. Her son's name is same as my son's name. And while I'm t- inducing her into hypnosis, I he came through me. He ch- I. I, and he's like, tell, tell her mommy, I love you. And that, wow. That, that it's okay. And everything's going to be all right. And I said, I can't, I can't ambush her like this. Yeah. That would be maybe too much. Yeah. So I told her afterwards and I sat her down and, and it was like, see, see what I mean? It's like, it's a very moving experience, but um, uh, anyway, it's um, where do you think it came from? You know, people, there are people who are reluctant to engage in hypnosis and hypnotherapy and think it's like witchcraft and stuff. And it's like, no, where do you think it came from? If you believe in the uh, in almighty God and all powerful God and as the creator, then all of what we inhabit here is the result of God's hand, the divine. And uh, it may be, you know, and it's not some white guy with a beard that lives up in the sky. It, it, you know, she very well may be Sophia and be the embodiment of consciousness, you know? So, um, but Whatever the case may be, anyone who purports to be able to explain it from this side of the veil doesn't understand. It's like the Tao. The Tao that can be known is not the true Tao. Love it. And but but you know, scientists are every day learning more about consciousness. And so we're baby steps, we're getting there, we're getting there, you know. Oh, I love the there's a movement now, you know, among physicists who were largely atheists and agnostic and um they now point to what they call the Goldilocks effect, right? So the, you know, we're just 
so not too close, not too far from the sun, just right. The moon is just not too far, not too close, not too big, just right. Jupiter's gravity is just not too much, not too little to keep the asteroid belt, you know, at bay. So, um, you know, as we move from Newtonian mechanics and, and the material world and the epic of Pisces into Aquarius and uh, the quantum field and energy, um, you know, they did experiments that to, to test to see if matter like light has a dual nature of particle and, and wave and they it gave rise to the observer effect and meaning. Yeah. Yeah, right. So we could influence when we tried to see if it was a particle, it acted like a particle the same thing when, when it was a wave. And so now we understand that we can influence matter. And, you know, and so I, I love that there's now a, an opening for a spiritual um, basis for the universe and cosmology. Yeah, I like that. I, I get a lot out of it too. There's a lot of skepticism, famous skeptics, but I think there are, um, the, the movement is really growing and it's, it's wonderful to see. Um, in your book, you talk about, I want to get back to hip, hypnotherapy for a moment. You talk about how Hollywood, you know, sort of tricks everything up and gets it completely wrong, gets hypnosis and hypnotherapy completely wrong. Tell me more about, you know, some, how you feel about that. Well, you know, here's what Hollywood does. They take artistic license. Right. And so, you know, black magic with Orson Welles, Kosovo, look into my eyes. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. Ah. Or, you know, the most recent example is Get Out. I don't know if you saw that movie, but the, um, there's a young African American man who's got a white girlfriend and they go to upstate Connecticut to meet mom and dad. And mom's a psychiatrist and dad's a physician and he smokes. And so he goes outside to have a cigarette and he comes back and mom says, you know, I can help you quit. And he says, now I'm right. I'm right there. There's like, now I'm all right. There's no. So you can't make people do what they don't want to do. But in the movie, she mesmerizes and she tinkles her teacup. And next thing you know, he's gone to the sunken place. Do I take people into the, a deep state? And you're getting deeper and deeper. Absolutely. I may even float them on a cloud. And they, it's all about taking them out of their body. And so they use just enough of the there there and then sprinkle it in some artistic license and next thing you know he's waking up you know somewhere else in the sunken place right so um it had people freaked out i had a lot had to do a lot of damage control with people in their mindset about hypnosis and hypnotherapy i, I my pre-induction speech i got to tell them it's not a loss of control you're not going to cluck like a chicken you know, you could get up at any moment uh, if you felt uncomfortable by anything. You won't because it's one of the most comfortable things you'll ever experience. But anyway, so there's a lot of dispelling. And that's why I wrote the book. You know, it's like um, dispelling a lot of the myths. Um, you know, in an, in an initial session, they may hear everything I say and they think, well, I don't think I was in. I'm like, well, did you notice your heart rate, your breathing, your cheeks flattened out, your blood pressure lowered? your pulse rate. And so I say, you know, I tell them, you can, if you ever been driving home from work and you end up in the driveway and you don't remember the trip, that was hypnoidal hypnosis. So, you know, you can be in hypnosis and operate a vehicle. So you can certainly be in my chair and hear every word I say and still be in hypnosis. Do you do it over Zoom too? I do. Yeah. I've done hypnosis and hypnotherapy with people all over the world. Do you ever do past life regression? I do. 
Hmm. You know, in my experience, I've been able to regress people to early parts of this life and find past life regression. First of all, it's novel. And when people, you know, they think they have all kinds of conceptions and misconceptions about it. Maybe they've read by Brian Weiss. By the way, I was, uh, I, I was in a group session with Brian Weiss at that Hay House conference and we did a past life regression. Um, you know, many, many lives, many masters is a popular book that people read. There are some clues um, and can be some generational stuff. I do shamanic soul retrievals, you know, I didn't, and I've studied shamanism and, and incorporate that as well. Uh, but what I find is I can usually connect the dots through a regression to the early parts of this life. Now, that's not to say that I don't, I haven't done past life regression. People have some fascinating stuff and a past life regression, unlike the regular hypnosis sessions that I do, uh, we interact and they talk and we record it. And so they can hear themselves saying who they were, where they are, you know, so it's kind of interesting. Not everybody wants to spend 300 bucks on, you know, finding out you know, that they were a swashbuckler in, in a previous life, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, so it's, it's fascinating and we exist on many different planes, many different timelines and our souls are eternal. It's just this bag of bones that's temporary. Yep. Uh, but you, you said earlier that when you do a session, a regular hypnotherapy session with somebody, you take a little time to get to know them, but with past life regression, shouldn't you go in with a completely blank slate so that you're not, you know, in, in influencing ideas? Oh yeah. I don't do a history past life regression. I ask them what they want to achieve and why they, why they want to do this, you know? So, because it's super important that you manage expectations and that you hold yourself accountable. So what, how will you describe success? I mean, the client has to know whether this is a success or not so that they feel like they got their money's worth at the end of this. And so I'm really clear about what our goals are and what they hope to achieve and what they might do with it, with that information once they get it, you know what I mean? So um, if you uncover, like, you know, I just, I had a client today who I took her into hypnosis and she was like twitching, you know, and stuff. But when I took her in, I regressed her to childhood, all of a sudden she got calm. And I've had the complete opposite happen. Well, you regress them into childhood and then they start twitching. I've had grown men ball their head off as soon as I connected to them with that little boy inside. And at the, um, you know, I'm watching very closely for how they respond because, you know, you're, but the law of opposites says you can't be anxious and relaxed at the same time. So the overpowering condition is that they're in a deeply relaxed state. So you bring these things up and they can feel them and they can realize that it can no longer hurt them because they're deeply relaxed and they can't be anxious about it at the same time. I want to talk more about hypnotherapy and health and, um, and you've written about um, diseases from fibromyalgia to Lyme disease and tell me some other diseases, of course, cancer too, that, that respond to hypnotherapy and tell me more about why. Well, there's a ton of research on um, gut stuff, IBS, Crohn's, um, you know, because this, this is what, you know, we shove everything down in here, right? So you, I always look at the spiritual origin of what people are suffering from, right? So if you have stomach problems, it's because you can't digest what the world's giving you. 
unexplained back problems, you're carrying the weight of the world. Unexplained leg problems, you can't run away from your problems. Unexplained arms, you can't fight your way out of stuff. So MS, there's, you know, uh, family conflicts, a feeling of loss of control. Uh, and so I've, I've had MS clients, I've had, um, I've had cancer clients, a lot of autoimmune. So, you know, one of the, one of the most powerful experiences I had, this woman came to me nine years and all the doctors could do was give her pain pills. They, they collect the symptoms, put them all into this bucket and say, you have this autoimmune condition. All we can do is help you relieve the pain. First thing I did was ask her what was going on in her life when it started. No one had ever asked her that. And she had been in the Air Force. Now she works in, you know, as an executive in the in, you know, in a dominant, male-dominant world and tough, very tough. And grew up on the wrong side of the tracks, single mom, bad neighborhood. And so she was tough. But she was going through a, di a difficult divorce, child involved. And what I, what I came to understand about her was that she was an emotional marshmallow, despite this tough exterior. And so what she did was she somatized that emotional pain right into her body. Her emotions couldn't take it, but she was, knew she was strong and she, her body could take it. And then once you put it in your body, the prospect of letting it go means then you have to face the thing that drove it there to begin with, even though it's long gone. The divorce is over. She's friends with, you know, with kind of, you know, as, as a, you know friends with the, her ex and the father of her child. So, so um, I asked her, once I got to understand all of this, it was, we're, we're a couple sessions in now. I've kind of tried to re resolve some childhood stuff, but now I'm starting to understand, you know, the, pr the production of this. There's a, there's a whole body of medicine called psychosomatic medicine. There's a great book called The Body Keeps the Score. But, you know, it was kind of discounted in the 70s when they said it's all in your mind. Well, the origins can be or in your gut. And that doesn't mean the symptoms aren't real. It doesn't mean you're not feeling the things that you're feeling. It just means, you know, let's, let's understand how this began. This, and so I asked her if she was ready to give it up. She said, well, if I could have given it up, I'd have done it a long time ago. I said, okay. I said, okay, well, if you could, are you ready? She said, yes. I'm like, okay. So I took her into hypnosis, took her deep into hypnosis, and then I did an arm stiffening. So I held her arm and supported it, told her to make it go limp. I said, put all your pain, all your suffering, all your anxiety, everything, put it in your arm, make it stiff, stiff as a rod, stiffer, stiffer, got real paternal, stiffer, now let it go. And so, then I proceeded to read back to her all the things that she said she would do if she didn't have this anymore. And I had an exhaustive, all this, I made her tell me all of these things. Told her what color it was to have it and what color it would be if she didn't have it. I had her picture of that color. Doing all these things with all these people that she's wanted to do for a long time. Now feel it in your body how it feels to be rid of this and to be doing these things. See yourself, do it. Now, when you're ready, when your subconscious mind is ready to let this go and signal that you're ready to let this go, your arm will begin to lift and rise. Lifting, rising, rising, lifting, lift, lifting and rising. Your arm will lift and rise. 
nothing happened. I preconditioned her. I already, you know, I had her already did the arm stiffing. So I preconditioned her to that. But I told her her arm would lift and rise when she was ready to let it go and nothing happened. And when, you know, when I was a brand new hypnotherapist, I'd have been mortified, but I've done this a little bit now. So I waited. And there's time distortion, which for her, like she doesn't know. She's the time, it could be three months in her mind. For me, I'm just, you know, hearing the clock tick and stuff. And I'm like, okay, when you're ready to let this go, your arm will begin to lift and rise, lifting, rising, rising, lifting, lift and rise, rising and lifting, lifting and rising. Your arm will begin to lift and rise, demonstrating how ready you are to let go of this once and for all, to live the life that you said you wanted to live, to do all of these things. Feel it in your body now, lifting and rising, rising, lifting, nothing. And then all of a sudden, small jerking motions, lifting and rising, rising, lifting. And I got, she's out here like this with her arms straight out in front of her. And I'm like, okay, all right. And then I woke her up. And the first thing she saw was her arm right, demonstrating that her body said she's ready to let it go. And so I felt really good about that. We ended the session. We made, we, we didn't book the next session. I'm like, okay, let's let this. So about a week and a half, I pinged her and later and I said, you ready for your next session? And I held my breath. And she, she got back to me, yes. And I said, well, what do you want to work on? And I held my breath again. <laughs> and she, she said, motivation. I've been depressed for so long. I can't get my butt out of bed. I don't have, I'm ready to go take on the world. Like, so yeah. it was, it was over. It was done. She got her life back. And so we spent the next few sessions helping her overcome that depressive state that she'd been in. That's incredible. Now tell me, uh, you know, just now when you were describing your voice got, uh, your speech got rapid and this um hip this hypnosis of yours that you have on your website that i listened to last night for confidence sometimes your voice is very soft and slow and low when you're talking us into relaxing into a cloud but toward the end again you've got this sound you know this you know it's it's fast it's you know very kind of strong and everything tell me about modulating your voice like that well i mean for obvious reasons what, what do you want to punctuate? I mean, just like nonverbal communication, verbal communication can convey much more than the actual words. When, but if you get paternal with the wrong person, you're, you're going to screw the pooch. You know, you know, mm. like, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. you've got to know who you're dealing with. And so, so to relax, you can't be, you can't be staccato when you're relaxing someone. So you want to be soothing and slow and soothing <laughs> and lull them into deeply relaxed state. The more you listen, the more you relax. The more you relax, the deeper you go. There's all kinds of, so neuro-linguistic programming arose out of hypnosis, right? Uh, Grindler and Brandler, whatever, they, they studied Georgia Satir and Milton Erickson. Uh, Georgia was a, a communications and Milton Erickson was a conversational hip, hip, He was a psychiatrist who, who you know perfected conversational hypnosis and these guys studied their speech patterns and how they went and you know, tony robbins and, and nlp you know look look how he's you know what i mean it's yeah it's what you do and you're giving cues to people to how to i was i was the reading clerk for the state assembly assembly bill 492 yeah. by assembly member perlando and accurate taxation you know what i mean so i <laughs> i i you know i'm a taurus born on april 22nd the throat i had throat cancer like it's, it's the whole, my voice. I like, I was the voice of the assembly, but I got sick here because I didn't have my authentic voice. I spoke for others as a lobbyist. 
it's really weird. Wow. I mean, so you just got to see things for what they are. So that's all, that's all very calculated, just like my extra loud clock that ticks very loudly in my office. And that, you know, mm-hmm. when everything else is quiet, they, people commented all the time, your clock, your clock is really loud. I'm like, <laughs> oh, okay. Thank you. Doing that hypnosis last night, I was kind of feeling, well, this kind of feels like a meditation. So what's the difference between a self-hypnosis and meditation? It's a very fine line. It's a very, it's a very fine line. So a meditative state, they're going to be same as the same um, brain physiological changes. The different, the difference is, you know, you're not making suggestions. Um, so with, with a divine perspective, there's a different hypnotherapist when you're in meditation, right? So mm. prayer is when you talk to God and meditation is when you get yeah. replied to. <laughs> so yeah. if you're quiet and still, you're going to get information. And so the brain is paying attention in the same way in, uh, of deep meditators as deep people, people in deep hypnotic state. It's a, it's a very fine line. Those who meditate, go easily into hypnosis. Yeah. Wow. This has been such an interesting talk. Where can people learn more about all your work? Uh, So I've got um, my website is my name, normanplotkin.com. And I've got some goodies on there uh, that that, you you can avail yourself of. And uh, you can also uh, book me there and learn more about me. I I do um, uh, hypnotherapy sessions in Sacramento, as well as all over the world via Zoom. I'm on social media, Facebook, Norman Plotkin, Inc. Uh, um, uh, Instagram is Norman Plotkin, CHT, and um, IG, I'm sorry, LinkedIn, that's just Norman Plotkin. And so, um, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm out there. I'm I'm starting a second website called Mastermind Master Life, and there'll be nice. there'll be more offerings. I'm I'm starting to do um, uh, more recordings of meditations. I lead a I lead a, a virtual group meditation on Saturday nights, seven thirty p.m. Pacific time, and it's by Zoom and it's free to to, wow. to jump on. And each week we we do a different topic. I write a two thousand word essay and uh, talk about the topic, and then do a chakra balancing a progressive relaxation, and then a meditation on the topic of the week. And those, uh, oh, YouTube. I just started a YouTube channel where I've started posting those recordings up. Um, Norman Plotkin, Inc., I'm pretty sure is my YouTube channel. And um, so on Mastermind Master Life, which should be out in the next few weeks, um, there'll be recordings of meditations, hypnotherapy recordings uh, on, on different topics, my books, uh, some eBooks that I'm, I've, I've gotten in the work, um and um uh book coaching um writing coaching life coaching i'll even write custom poetry for you if you like so i'm just trying to get you know a ton of content out there because i found my soul's purpose and it feels so good that is just wonderful such an inspiration well thanks norman plotkin thanks for talking to mind body and beyond It's been very enlightening and I wish you all the best. My pleasure. Thanks so much. 
I spoke to Norman Plotkin, hypnotherapist and the author of Take Charge of Your Cancer, The Seven Proven Steps to Healing and Recovering from Cancer, and Mastermind, Master Life. Find out more at normanplotkin.com. Check out the show notes from today's episode at mindbodybeyond.co for all the links to Norm's work. And be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Thanks for listening.